0: Hello, welcome back to the End Again podcast. Today, H and I talk about a few things. The first being United's loss uh, to McAllister's final minute penalty winner. Uh, We talk about some of the signings that we think United should be making, uh, how they recruit players and and how they promote certain players uh, from the academy or how they don't uh, rather promote certain players uh, from the academy. Then we go on to talk about Big Sam, uh, the relegation battle. And if he really does know more than Pep Guardiola, Arteta and Klopp uh, and then we finish on touching a little bit about Arsenal's next game and how uh, how the league might pan out coming to the end of the season hope you enjoy this episode and we'll catch you again next week hello everybody welcome back to the and again podcast my name is I'm a football writer and analyst and I'm joined today as always by H a football content creator that focuses on the tactical parts of the beautiful game it's almost going to be an identical intro to last week because we're back immediately uh, after United's game uh, is when we're recording this. And United are on the back of another disappointing resort. Uh, if you've not watched the game, McAllister with a, what was that, 96th minute penalty? Yeah, it's after the game ended. He got payback. Then if for when we did it. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Before we discuss that, I just want to say the way that he sort of just stood over the ball for like ten seconds after the, the reford blues whistle to take it and then he slapped it in the top corner. Coldest yeah coldest moments. Uh love that in the compilation. But yeah, United have lost I, I think United have actually dealt with Brighton relatively well um in the two games that they have played. But today obviously yeah. lost it in at the end. Um I saw a tweet just before we started recording actually uh H of you saying podcast sort of we got we got to record it head now loss. and yeah head yeah. loss um uh, yeah just tell me tell me about the game brother because well I watched the first half and I had to tune out for the second half um, and then popped it back on for the last five minutes but yeah United we we mentioned the away uh, record stat against the top nine they've added to that um, and not in a good way still only one point in uh, the eight <laughs> games the the record's poor uh, away ninety six minute. Um, you know, goal that they've conceded. Tell me, tell me all about it, brother. Because yeah, vent a little bit in (laughs) it.
1: Yeah. To to be honest, I'd be be thankful you you missed the second half. I mean, you'd have enjoyed it, but it was it was shocking the second half. There was no real adaptation. I thought we did what we did in the cup semi, but it was a lot more. Offensive minded, if that if that makes a little bit more sense, like we, there was a lot more intent on the uh, on the attacking part of the game. We were trying to um, keep them at bay, but for the most part, Manchester United were looking to create chan- chances. You know, yeah, um, committing quite a few midfield bodies forward. Um, got a good got a good few chances in the game, and probably should have scored one. But by the end of the game. I know the penalty weighs into it, but I think they had like two point seven xG and we had like one point three or something. I, I can't think of the exact thing, but yeah on on the whole on the whole game the they were by well not by far better but they were better. Um, mm. They're a better footballing team. They do the the basics of the game better. Um, and for all that I enjoyed Manchester United out of possession in that game because I actually think Manchester United set up really well against Brighton. Um, like I'm I'm a big fan of it because it is a bit more proactive and a bit more pragmatic because it's not something we go to every single game um but I've seen it twice now and um no open play goals in however many um, minutes and it was it was it was hard to watch the second half and it just brings back everything we said on the podcast about the, the Spurs performance um the lack of control the midfield not being able to control games but then he doesn't want to put ericsson in there because he's not good enough off the ball so he throws fred in but then he loses even more control and then you've got Sabitzer, who is a bit more of a robust midfielder who can't really control games but he's got like a goal in him and you know there's a lot of mismatch of personnel in the team and i just i said this to you before we started the podcast but i just really cannot wait to get to the summer i yeah. think it's probably the biggest summer in recent history for manchester united it's bigger than any summer we've started off with a manager because what we have now is we have a manager where we've seen what can be um, Mm, mm. and what can be added to it is really good personnel, really good profiling. But what worries me is our last summer window, spending too much money on players um, and just getting recruitment wrong. And I think tonight we looked at Brighton and it's like they are technically... It depends how you want to, you know, um, define technical ability, but their technical floor of that team is far more accustomed so, to playing football so, than ours. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's much more, and they've spent. I know it's, I know it's not something Manchester United can do because the scrutiny over these smaller transfers for like fifteen, twenty million, and then not promoting them for two years would be, would be high. But they are so much, so much. They're just a much better run football club and they have a better idea of how they want to play football and in their recruitment there's always been one thing as like a criteria and it's just technical ability if you are good play in football you'll make it at Brighton
0: yeah um, I think with Brighton they've yeah. they've got guys who are really technical but they've also like got the know-how of of where to use them and how to use them and everything sort yeah. of fits into place like this really like well-oiled machine with United We've seen it for years and years and years. People say so, there's not enough investment into United. Um, yeah. And I'm not sort of clued up in terms of the ownership and how things work sort of, in in that regard entirely. But all I know is United have spent big money, wherever that, was, that money's come from, um, and they've spent that money poorly. If you think about even the good signings, you've probably still overspent for them. Um, and... Yeah. You're looking at someone like wan I think is a really good player when he's profiled correctly playing in a team where I think Ten Hag's probably got the best of him so far but he's not naturally a kind of right back that you want in these possession systems uh, to do a role sort of higher up. You've got Anthony who I think we've spoken about him having like bright um, sort of periods throughout the season but then again he's also a player who you spent for how, how much was he again? Like sort of so certainly yeah, the, uh anthony 100 million 100 million which is ridiculous <laughs> I, think 80, um, I think 89
1: million pounds i think
0: oh so 100 million I euros think. yeah um but i think it's 100 million euros yeah and and in a team that's sort of trying to make the step up i think i can understand having to be desperate and and if you secure champions league this season i'd say probably worth yeah. it um but even though he's been decent he's not a sort of a 100 million pound player. um so that's gone across no. years and years and years i think this is the window like you said this is the window where ten hag has to get his pieces united have to clear out some of the dead wood and it it launches you want to to have another good season i think when we look at arteta's arsenal we were just looking at them before we started the podcast he's had is it four summers or three summers
1: three summers i think
0: he's had three summers i think the first one's whatever but then the second one sort of gave them the platform to finish fourth and then the one right after that gave them the platform to compete sort of top yeah. top one and two so i think you need three or four signings that can push you into that bracket where third and fourth and fifth like sort of yeah. you you don't want to be competing for Champions league you want to be firmly in the top four and pushing for second pushing yeah. for first um, yeah. And I think that's possible, but you that's need a... three, four, at least. Yeah, that's the thing that
1: I've always, well, I've not always said it, but the the way I stand on things now is I understand that Manchester United will not be good enough to win a title this year or next year. I understand that, mm. but there is definitely a position in this league that could be taken up by a team who's not in a title race or a top four race. Yeah, um, and I just feel like we've got a situation now where we've got players from. Jose, Oli, um Liv, well, I don't even know if Liv and Gar, I can't even remember, but they're just a whole mesh of players. And now you've got ten hag players coming in. And there's a whole mesh of players, and not one not one group of them have been signed uh, have got like a, a criteria or a definition of why they were signed, what they're good at. And we've got players who are good in transitions, we've got players I who think are Probably good off most the ball. of your
0: players like fall into that like Oli good in transition traditional Man United yeah. way um,
1: and this is the and this is the problem because we are transitional now we are but we we've got we we also signed players under Ten Haag who are you would class as off the ball or transitional players who potentially if we if we do adapt next year will not be good enough hmm. um, and I feel like it's getting to a point now where you've really got to decide if you want to move into the new style in the summer and really just risk it and play good football and not really factor in results too much. Or you can still assess the squad come summer, assess who you've got, who you've bought. And if you think it's still not good enough, then once again, it's proactive, pragmatic
0: football. And I think we have to um, basically hope. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I think like with with moving on to next season and things like that, like, I think you can't copy Arsenal's model entirely, but I do think Arteta did something smart in, in having this almost like halfway team. I wrote this article last year, like, talking about how Arsenal can make his his side a winning side, even without all of his pieces. And obviously, when he got Zinchenko, uh, Gabriel Jesus, um, sort of Saliba was abedded into the team. He had, like, sort of his pieces in, in every position. But the season before that, when they were competing for fourth, um, sort of before the injuries at the end, he had this like halfway team that looked like an Arsenal Arteta side, um, but yeah. was sort of just um built around making the best of of certain sort of suboptimal profiles, and I think next season that's sort of that season for you because I don't think you can have an overhaul of like seven eight players that put you in in contention to to play perfectly, but I do think sort of three four probably you can push five um, because I I remember when City had our first like major window under under Pep I think it might have been five signings but yeah I I think that's possible we we wrote down before the episode we want to talk about some potential signings and things like that for um, for United I'd like to get your opinions I know you've sort of done videos and and sort of tweets and things in the past of like who would your ideal three signings for United be for example um, I feel like you yeah. probably have some names in your head already so so yeah throw them at me I'll think of if I can uh, pluck out any names or any uh, profiles at least well I think it depends the way
1: you want to do it because I think Manchester, Manchester United fans have like two ways of looking at it you either go top to tail which mm. is basically you know get a centre forward in um, get a guy who can get on the end of minimal chances um, and you know, score goals and still suffer the control part of the game, or you go back to front and it's sort the spine out. And what then, would you, what would you, know, you do? The striker. I'd sort the spine out. Uh, yeah. I'd sort the, I'd sort the midfielder and the goalkeeper out before the center forward. And I do understand that Manchester United fans are worried about us scoring
0: goals, but, um, you know, if the spine it, is I just sorted feel like out, if you, if, you yeah. if the spine is sorted out, you can, Still score goals in transition because you have those. Profiles. This is
1: this is, yeah. This is what I mean. I still think that Manchester United, with all the control in the world, uh, next season wouldn't be a team who's just struggling to create chances. Because in my in my head, United create the most chances when we've either a got complete control of the game or b we don't actually want the ball and we're constantly just creating it in transitions. And both mm. of them things you're able to do with the right. Uh, players signed in the spine i think if you got like a if you really wanted to make a statement in the summer and you really wanted to make the first step into playing your brand of football that you've played at ajax or whatever then you could let david de Gea go give him a send-off or whatever Mm. bring in any any decent form of goalkeeper there's there's numerous names out there whether or not they'd be um world-class fits i don't know but diogo costa David Raya, um, these kind kind of goalkeepers. I know David Raya is not really an expert in short distribution. And I've always never looked beyond Diogo Costa because I just think Diogo Costa is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And I don't really, uh, I understand that it's a £60 million uh, investment for a player who, you know, in the grand scheme of things might not seem like a big thing, but it is. Yeah, um, I know. I th- I agree with you. In that is much like. Do you know what I mean? I think hmm. if you have a hundred million in the in the bank, I understand that sixty million on a keeper might seem absolutely ridiculous. But but that's a, he's gonna an be investment for, for like ten, 10, 10 years. years.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, geez. he's going to be there for ten years. Yeah, <laughs> so
1: he's there. You never have to purchase it again, and it's one step in the right direction as towards playing a better brand of football, uh, and then you can move on into your six. And I think I do feel like there is that many names out there. Uh, that you could go and sign as a comfortable ball playing midfielder for cheap fees who would maybe take some time to adapt, but would still be able to control games better and be coached better and their you younger know, options.
0: I had a weird suggestion uh, and people got onto me for it, but I thought like before the season began in, in, in that summer window, I was like, someone like Romeyu, sort of early 30s. Yeah, I, I remember think. you
1: saying, yeah.
0: Um, not expensive, but sort of, Profile wise, and 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 does the job well, and he he's gone to. Well, Not too
1: dissimilar to Cas- Casemiro, yeah. It's like a similar sort
0: of. I think I think is a bit different in that, like Romeo's sort of technically really proficient. I think he has this like hard man like reputation, but the the reason why I mentioned Romeo at the time was because really cheap, really technically able, like good under pressure, good at passing the ball. I think Casemiro's quality is more about playing vertical finding sort of the forwards and then breaking up play like horizontally but yeah. i think united struggle with keeping the ball essentially and and playing it to certain um you know players in the build-up uh under pressure or under sort of like direct yeah. press um is 31 i think like someone like that um because obviously yeah. you spent big on you you already spent big on um casemiro and i don't think you're gonna get or maybe it makes less sense to sign someone to directly replace him at the moment, but, like, second pivot type, like a... someone second, who can Second pivot player is what is, like,
1: people People always get dead thingy about it because they always think that when Manchester, when, when Manchester United fans say they want to sign a six, they think they mean in replacement of Casemiro, but the yeah. player who plays next to Casemiro does receive almost even deeper than Casemiro at times. I think pretty so much he, on the eye, they will it be that main like guy a, yeah, who yeah. received
0: the ball. Yeah. Um, and the but way the Manchester United have passed two. up.
1: Yeah, United have passed up on countless holding midfielders for smart fees. Like, even even in some just gone, like Bubakar Kamara was a third centre-back slash number six who played in a really intricate tactical side. Um under Sampiola, and he was a br- he was a brilliant deep deep-lying footballer. He could you know he could play in all angles. He was brilliant yeah, on the ball, yeah, press-resistant. Yeah. Went for free, <laughs> didn't even get sniffed at by Manchester United. Crazy. And now there are players knocking about like Maxence Kakare, uh Enzo Luffy, mm. Um I don't personally think this one's right, but uh, Manu Kone, mm. Alan Varela, like oh, like Enzo Fernandez was available. We said Enzo Fernandez even maybe six months before the World Cup. Like, yeah. the players are out there Who's, who Manchester United just... The, the scouts aren't the problem at Manchester United. The scouts are going out and finding these players. I you think know, the there was found-
0: um, I think there was a scout sort of... You know, there's like these news aggregators and stuff, so you have to take their reliability with a pinch of salt. Yeah, But, like, when I was really... I'm still really high on uh, Yao Gomez, uh, the one who plays for Wolves now. Um, but when he was playing in Brazil, I was so sort of impressed by his quality. I was like every sort of big 6 club in, in England should look at signing him. But I'm pretty certain there were like reports that United scouts had been following following him closely. Yeah. He went for 20ish million, I think. Like being
1: a United scout must be absolutely pointless at times because <laughs> the amount of times we we send scouts to watch players, to monitor players, to target players and we never ever make just I understand that at Manchester United, there's going to be scrutiny if you pay 15 million for a youngster who is unknown.
0: But is and there? I do like, get surely... this,
1: but 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 like, I just don't understand it because like Chua Mene was available a year before Real Madrid bought him for mm. virtually nothing, and he was still that guy. Mm. And I said it for ages, like, and it was it was in plain sight, and Manchester United scouts were definitely looking at him. But they just do nothing. It, the scouts aren't the problem. I remember we we scouted Kai Sado like three years ago in Ecuador. The only and the journalist turned out to be like a fisherman, <laughs> and it's like, but but Manchester United scouts were still there, and we didn't do anything about it. Like, you know, the only thing that it? I
0: will say is like United are such a massive club that I think their network of scouts is so broad that there'll be a link to like yeah. every player that becomes good. Pretty much good, every player. Um, I think there must be some sort of disconnect in, in either saying this is the guy you have to sign him or having yeah. that like conversation and having that like continuity between the guy who looks at the players, watches them and then the guys who actually go and make those yeah. signings. I think with Brighton, you have yeah. this trust, this philosophy, this model that sort of goes all the way through. Same with Manchester City, for example. I think when you're looking at Man United now, sometimes I'm thinking what what is kind of player that they're really looking for i think people are people are looking from the outside and and coming up with names based on the other successful teams that they see around them arsenal city etc so i think for me it's it's more so this case of like you have to make the squad smaller get rid of all this deadwood and then you have room to to make these smart signings in and around a strong core
1: um
0: so yeah if you have this casemiro um Let's like sort of the squad that you already have, fill in some of the gaps yeah. and then sign a couple, not even a a lot, but sign a couple of these um sort of fifteen, 20 million pound players and if they work, they work if they don't, at least they'll be the right profile for the for the system and for the philosophy yeah. of the coach at hand rather this than is- someone six years into their career um from like two coaches ago.
1: This is the problem because. Brighton, like people try and compare Manchester United's recruitment to Brighton, and I like we've said we've said so far, like we understand why these why these teams don't go out and do it. But the main thing is, is what Manchester United will do is they will confirm a signing for seven eight million euros. I think Hannibal Maybre was signed for around ten million euros. Yeah. But then the handling of the player and his development will be so bad that he will never actually integrate into the first team. Whereas Brighton probably have a set plan where they look at the team, they look at the coach, they look at where they want to be in a set amount of years. And if you're a deep midfielder, we know that Brighton want the ball. We know that Brighton like press resistant midfielders. We know they like to play in all angles and they will coach that player from the ground up. But Manchester United have a player like Dan Gore, who is probably the complete opposite end of the spectrum to a player like Casemiro. Yeah. So Dan Gore's ability to get to the first team when Dan Gault is that of kind of like
0: Ericsson-ish position, like that Verratti-ish position. Like I'm yeah. not saying he is that kind of player, but like sort of in profile. I described him as a Verratti. Yeah. yeah, he he does remind me in, in style, at least, of that kind of Verratti second sort of centre mid player. He'd never get. I mean, I'm not saying he'd never get a chance at United, but I'm saying, especially at this stage, he'd be less likely to get a chance because there's that massive pressure associated with United, the scrutiny, and there is a point to make about sort of United having to protect some of their own players. But I think there's a lack of integration, even for the really quality players, that a club like Man City, who have expectations of competing for the title, don't even do. I think we've seen Sergio Gomez, for example, who started off quite poorly for Man City, but he's been getting minutes and being integrated in multiple positions. Rico Lewis, yeah. under-18s. Uh, player and he's obviously he's played. I think because we've sold and had had injuries at four-back positions, but he's come in and performed well. And I think like in United, there's so many sort of talented academy players. There's so many smart buys you yeah. can make, but then there is this pressure of are there's they going to be released Yeah, there's so many boundaries, and, and the I think- handling of the
1: handling of loans as well. Like we've had so many technically gifted midfielders who were never physically ready for first-team football, but have been handled atrociously um, loan-wise. We had Dylan Levitt, who was one of like, the best midfielders we've had in the United Academy for, like I don't even know, like maybe the past five, six years. And he got shifted off to, I think, Dundee United, went out on loan, was absolutely mint, and they bought him for virtually nothing. And mm. he plays a, that type of like, di- deep midfielder, dictator kind of role. And it's something the squad cries out for now, and I understand there's there's absolutely no chance in hell we're going to play um, a player of that age and you know in a pressurized season like this. But it just it's it's hard to see sometimes, especially when the the recruitment is as bad as it is. I think you know what City do really well. Your academy, but the pathway from the academy is completely impossible.
0: City have started doing this thing really well where we. Our academy is wildly talented. I think, like, <laughs> probably over half could play play in the Premier League. I, like, I genuinely think so. But with, with our academy guys, we've started selling them out to to teams and then putting in a buyback. Um, and in that way, like, teams have this feeling that they want to sort of play them. They're not these lone players like with Brighton and, and Colwell, where you have like, um, sort of a rel- reluctance to play uh play certain players because you know that they're going to go back at the end of the season. So. I think United could probably look to that model where they sell academy players, put in a buyback, and then maybe if they sort of develop into the right kind of player, the right kind of profile, um, you you bring them in and, and you slot them in your team. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, and I'm not saying play all your academy guys right now, but I do think like someone like Zidane, for example, in pre-season, we've seen his development in general, and then he comes into the squad he's not even got as much as a look uh, or, or a substitute appearance. And in my head, it makes no sense. At least sort of ideologically, you don't even get that faith um, in the club that the next up-and-coming academy player, the next star is going to have that pathway into the squad when you have someone like Zidane um, barely getting any, or not even getting any uh, minutes. Someone like Garnacho instead, obviously has done it, but I think that's a, a rarer case um and yeah and for me I just think like for the young players there's so many in, in the Premier League where I think you've just got to trust them. We've seen it with Lavia, seen it with Carnacho. Someone like Darko Gayabi, I think would have been so good for Leeds. Um and instead we have sort of established names like McKennie and and Roca in there but performing poorly. Um and for me it's just interesting. Like I think you've got to trust these smaller players, these younger players. They have the quality. The league's like really um insistent on like these physical strong players and I think that's fair but there's so many technical players um that I think can do a job even in that that physical environment and they're not gonna learn how to use their bodies anyway um unless they get minutes but it is what it is we'll move on having spoke about Man United the use of these younger players especially in the, the physical uh, Premier League I want to uh, talk about this manager who's associated um so with with the these more physical oh, so, so. yeah the the robust uh premier league the the barclays should we say um <laughs> and i want to i want to mention uh, sam Allardyce. we have to talk about sam Allardyce, given his return um and for me a legend of the game a character that that the league needs um but but doesn't deserve should we say um yeah so so yeah, Salah has come back for four games. Um I think he gets a 2 million pound bonus or something if he keeps Yeah. if he keeps them up. So crazy. Um, here's to hoping he loses to Man City and uh, wins the next three after that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's only going to take 3 points at this, right? <laughs> well, no what would <laughs> you make of uh, what do you make of his uh, appointment anyway? I think well let's talk about Leeds in general sort of from Bielsa to to yeah, Tallidays. that's interesting that's an interesting arc in itself so yesterday I
1: was I was listening to the T4 podcast and they had a the good 25-30 minute segment on Leeds and obviously John McKenzie's a Leeds fan and Come the they are you. they are a mess right now um, mm. I actually never thought that Leeds were a poorly ran club um, yeah. you know it didn't really stick out to me and I just feel like they have got everything wrong in the past like year um yeah. they've really really like messed up so the, the
0: do you think the, if they the kept...
1: recruitment and the manager and then they sat the manager they recruited for and they brought in javi gracio and yeah, then yeah. he was completely polar opposite to what they wanted to do but then but this guy's even
0: work. more opposite to the yeah
1: to the other guys it's, it's a it's a last roll of the dice i think that's i think it's I like fair that to like that i think i think leads are basically shook hands with the devil and basically said you know what we, we might to be going us. down yeah. here, yeah. Like yeah. We, we, if we do, if we don't, it's good for Big Sam. Get, yeah. I mean, the fact that they've got him a two million bonus—that's ridiculous. I mean, that that for almost a seems like that almost club. seems like
0: they don't believe uh, that yeah. he can do it. Um, they could have offered him anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, they, they do not care. But you know what? I I I have faith in in Big Sam. I'll be real, um, and I don't know if that's just like the nostalgic, like romantic football fan in me. Um, I will give Big Sam his roses. I wrote a, a little tiny thread on um, on Twitter. I want to. I'll, I'll go through it because I think Big Sam he has this like legacy within the league that's sort of a bit hidden and people don't really attribute or acknowledge some of the things he's done. So so look let, let me give some roses to Big Sam himself. So you know what I, I I wrote this down. I wrote in little bullet points and I attached this photo of, of Samuel Allardyce in a mosque. Just to illustrate a little bit. It's hilarious. The photo's hilarious. I might put it on screen in the edit. Um, but yeah, I, I you know what, the one of the main reasons I love Big Sam is because he has this like philosophy and he's unwavering from it. And it's completely yeah. opposite to like the the prevailing philosophies within the league at the moment. But I really love counter coaches, counter coaches, just like contrarian yeah. people in general. So the idea that he thinks going long, playing direct, winning the second ball. <laughs> I, he thinks that's the way like football has to be played. I love that. I just find that I right.
1: I love it. Right. But well, I seen a podcast clip of him talking about it, and he said that that going going long is. I think he said something like going long is more efficient to him. Yeah. Than playing out from the back because he thinks you can see more goals playing out from the back than you go you do going long yeah,
0: and I disagree with him saying, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm not a coach, right. But that is straight up bars because that is wrong. No, but let my man land because (laughs) when he said the actual statistic where he was like, I'm pretty sure based on the stats that you lose more goals playing out from the back, than go along. That that stat must have had like the craziest like stipulations because that's got to be false. Within that must one mean his... second of the long ball being hit to <laughs> score when the no. ball is lost in their half. Specifically for some Allardyce managed teams, like that must be the stipulation. It has um, to be. So I think, like when he's citing that as a stat, I think in case of Fugazi, like I don't believe it, yeah. but I do think that there is some like validity to what he's saying in that. If you hit the ball long to somebody who has more of a chance of winning it. And in specific areas where you know you have players who can win that second ball, like it's almost similar to the way Brentford use their throws. And it's like a statistically uh, justified thing where, like, if you throw it long, the second ball is more likely to land in the 18 yard area. You're closer to their goal, you're more likely to score. So I think there's like logic and rationale.
1: Yeah. I think he thinks about it like territory wise. Like, he thinks that having possession in your half isn't nearly as dangerous as knocking the ball long and trying to win it in the final third.
0: Yeah, I think and that's if,
1: like more to what he's trying to say.
0: Yeah, and he he thinks if he has sort of players that are more likely to win that header and win that second ball, then you're just yeah. increasing the odds each action. Which uh, is scary because leads don't. Yeah, I think <laughs> they, they need Patty Bamford to to get his stilts on, man. Um, the thing is, I think that they're interestingly I do think their like counter pressing heritage does have a basis in this sort of like go long fight for the jewel and sort of crowd the ball and try and win it I think bizarrely those two like Bielsa-ish philosophy uh, and, and, and the Samaladais-ish philosophy they, they have similarities in that way and I think a lot of the plays that they've signed over the last couple of years have traits that would work in Samaladais' system I think winning yeah. the, the the first ball is the main issue. Um, they got a lot of that, bosses, is, Yeah. Yeah. And sort of runners in behind, um, sort of yeah. goals from in behind striker. Like I think Jack Harrison, Nonto, Somerville, them kind of guys <clears throat> running in behind and off um off Bamford. I think you do have goals in that team. I think what was interesting. Yeah. Actually let me finish my little uh praise of Sam Allardyce. I wrote early advocate for data and sports science. We'll ignore that other data um, he, he, was,
1: he was actually because i think on that t4 podcast i think um ruben pinder i think he's called uh, crystal palace fan he said that he was one of the earliest people in the english game to actually use data yeah. analysis on like Proper, a, on like a fully, match level yeah uh, which is crazy because he must have had something must have happened he must have had a season or an experience which made him turn his back on it because data stems right to, like, not positional football,
0: but, like, a bit more of a modern brand of football. I, I um, wouldn't necessarily agree with that, you know, because I think it's interesting. I think Samandolas has always had this philosophy and he's used data to, like, inform the best ways to carry out that philosophy.
1: And I think... Yeah, yeah, to so be fair, yeah, you can bend, well, not bend your data, but you can use your data to... For so he certain must, purposes, yeah. Um, yeah, he must think about it as in like what
0: things yeah, within the data help me carry yeah, out like
1: turnovers, high turnovers, yes, and like yes. balls running the final third stuff like that. Yes, which is which is actually quite crazy because I think if you think about it, going long is a numbers game. I can't remember who said this, but I think Roberto Zerbi said. I think if he goes long, it's like betting, and he doesn't like betting. Yeah, yeah. which is like it's the so best way to put it down. It's through. so interesting. It's like that, a numbers like... game if you go long. But you know, Manchester United can... must not be very good at betting either.
0: <laughs> and, and I feel bad for the fans who bet on them. Um, <laughs> but I will say, it's so interesting how deservee and Sam Allardyce are speaking about the same thing and they have complete opposite views. And I think you can defend yeah. both arguments. Because let me play devil's yeah. advocate. If Big Sam is the devil, I think he's an angel. Shout out, Big Sam. But like, what I will say yeah. is, like, when you go long, so Deserby say, when you go long, you're betting because there's a certain percentage chance. That you'll lose that second ball, that header, and then you're on the on the back foot. Whereas Big but Sam Sam's picking
1: it up for him.
0: He's saying yeah. it's more likely that you'll win that second ball if you've got the right profiles, which is correct because yeah. he thinks there's a likelihood that you lose the ball passing it out from the back and you lose goals in that way. I think that they're both true in a way, um, but it just again, it, for me, it always goes back to profiles and qualities of plays that you have. Yeah. I will mention though, in fact, the fact that Zerbi sort of thinks it's a guarantee you keep the ball the first pass is always a guarantee when you're playing out from the back after that it's not a guarantee but i think you can coach no. these patterns and things like that and Zerbi thinks with enough quality and with enough know-how you can always find a solution to get out of that pressure and, and build up which i think is probably true is there somebody who's going to win a hundred percent of the headers no so in absolutes deserve probably right but i think in sort of like if, if you're talking about on it if you're talking about it on a sliding scale there can be teams where going long and winning the second ball is a lot more sort of successful than or a lot more reliable than going short and building out in that way and i think we've almost seen yeah. both sides of that spectrum in in ten hag's teams this season
1: yeah that's the crazy thing Isn't he's it? the fine line between it
0: that's <laughs> yeah the is... he
1: will... it's it's crazy because i think if he if he manages to keep leads up from this position I genuinely think that he—that is one of his biggest achievements. Um, oh, like, oh,
0: aside from the city game, because, I'm going to be sporting big Sam with
1: all of my heart, genuinely. Yeah. Because if he does it, I, I think I on that podcast keep keeps referring back to it. But on that podcast, they were they were basically talking about how Leeds's owner had basically covered—not covered, covered up—but he was taking a lot of the praise for Marcelo Bielsa's good work. Because yeah, obviously yeah. when he was there, he was taking a lot of the, I've gone and dug this manager out. who's was a football hipster and we play really exciting football and we stay up in the prem and we don't care about results. We care about performances. And but really he was doing it because, well, he was getting the results at that time. And yeah. now it's like, you've had to resort to plan B and you've got three decisions back to back to back wrong. Yeah. And they are so different. And it's like, I think some someone. I think a journalist said that. I think it might have been like the the Leeds uh, correspondent for the Athletic, but he basically said he thinks that the appointment of Big, Big Sam could be the the turnover or the handover in uh, ownership because mm. it's that far the other way for Leeds that it almost seems like it's we've got the club. Let's just do anything we can yeah. to keep it up. Yeah. And if that is true, then if he if he keeps them up. It would be ridiculous. And would be scenes, by the way. I don't know when their last game is. I know. Yeah. But they would be absolute scenes. And I don't like Leeds at all. But
0: I do. it would
1: be <laughs> true heritage. True heritage. Let if, me see. I mean, their games uh, are
0: really tough, man. Their yeah, they've got one of the really hardest. I think
1: them and Everton, Everton have got really hard run-ins. They
0: have us and, at the Etihad tomorrow at 7.30. Oh, my word. Then they're at home to Newcastle. Their games are fucked. And then uh, West Ham away, and then Tottenham at home. How many points do they need to I, survive? Let's have a look. Oh, and it
1: doesn't help how they've conceded five, six, two,
0: one, four. Mm, yeah, you and know what? before that, one, four, and four. If we're talking about Sam Dice and what he's mentioned so far, I think there's two quotes that jump out to me, uh, and we will talk about them before we wrap up the podcast. The first quote uh, I'll talk about is he said that he wants to create this like defensive solidity. That's the the primary goal of his uh, appointment and the sort of what he's working on straight away. Um, so even more than sort of winning the second balls, running in behind, playing direct, playing quick, exciting. Uh, he wants to have this really defensive, uh, defensively strong shape. Now I'm not too familiar with Leeds's uh, defensive players in general. I think they've had a. Uh, a weakness in defending the high line And that's obvious um, And that's sort of all of the, the players Of the back line in general I can't really think of anybody Who stands out to me as, as being strong Or or able in that back line this season In terms of performances I might be mistaken I haven't watched too many of these games With a focus on sort of specifics nah, uh, In they're their back all, line They're all poor to be but honest But yeah I think their defence has really uh, Been been the, the glaring weakness of their team They've scored a few But they've, they've always conceded loads I wonder if some of yeah. those players are naturally inclined to to play more sort of deep block uh, systems in, in their profile. Yeah. Um. I will say some of their signs have been with like the Jesse Marsh and <clears throat> the Elsa idea in mind. And I think you're targeting players who can play in a high line, you can sort of win the ball higher up and and play a bit quick in that way. So I'm not entirely sure yeah. if that's true. But it'll be interesting to see how and which players he chooses to to defend and if they suit that yeah. backline defending, I think it'll be a big, big shock Um, in terms of like... To be fair, the last manager kind of did it, but it was more of a mid-block. But like the difference in styles, I wonder how quickly they will adapt to it.
1: They're going to be... I think the problem is someone, someone said this on TalkSport and it was like Everton at the moment are in a position where drawing games isn't enough hmm. and they need three points and getting three draws is ridiculously hard in a relegation yeah. scrap whereas yeah. winning one game isn't and, li- yes, and Leeds yes. are going to bump into the exact same problem where if they get a point against City it might seem like a great point but realistically are you taking three or more points out of Newcastle, West Ham and Tottenham? Yeah, You need at least two wins and I, I don't even know yeah. if that's enough. You need You need to win games and I almost would I'm not going to say I would rather do this because it's easy to do that now and I'm not a Leeds fan, but I would rather go into that running with Jesse Marsh, who's trying to win a game, rather than trying to not lose a game. No, but here's, because... here's where
0: here's where the difference for me uh, comes up. So I think, wait, let me just... Oh, I've got to get me charger. Uh, so in the YouTube video, you'll see me bend down there. Uh, and in the audio <laughs> podcast, this makes no sense. Um, but But I think it does... It does make sense to me. Still, maybe I'm just like this big Sam, like Stan. But what I will say is, hey, I'm he's- up
1: for the prime Barclays. Where's Alan Pardew?
0: Where's Alan Pardew? mate? Uh, what's it- <laughs> he's in Turkey, I think. Things oh, but I love, honestly, I love, I love these like OGs. I think the end, like the quote that he said at the end that we that we'll speak about, like talks about the OGs basically. But just to to, to wrap up on your point here, I will say he mentioned he wants defensive solidity. And not with the intention of just sort of shutting up shop and getting these nil nils. But he's ah, right. his his idea is basically, if we concede two or three to win, we need to score four, and that's their, that's been Leeds' story all season. Um, yeah, you can always get one goal from nothing. Um. So if you shut up shop, and then you have these Sam Allardyce long throws, the set pieces, uh, sort of the the running behind and and one on one chance that you get, um in the in, in due time or whatever d- like there, there's hope man i think ideologically big sam he, he has my back in because i see the vision <laughs> i just think like there's such a interesting and, and bizarre aura surrounding him um that like it's hard to shake that and i think like maybe he comes back in 2023 and he's just rubbish and all the romanticism's gone and i hope that's not the case but I just like difference, and I like novelty, and I like uniqueness, and guys who back their talk. Uh, speaking about guys who back their talk, the last thing we'll mention: Sam Allardyce saying, in terms of knowledge, uh, well, so so they clipped the quote, and he said, in terms of knowledge, he's better than everyone in the Premier League, so Pep, Klopp, Arteta, and then he sort of like explained it a little bit, and then he said, in terms of knowledge, he's at least on par with them. Aside from Guardiola, what does, what does he mean, like? I'm not being
1: disrespectful. He's obviously a really good football manager, but what does he actually mean? Because knowledge of the game, I think I know a bit about the game. I'm sure yeah. you think you know a bit about the game, Yep. but I don't get what he's talking... Do you mean you know as much about football tactically as Pep Guardiola? Yes. Because thi- if, yeah. you, if you're saying that, then I would... I don't even know. I don't even know. But like, I think Pep Guardiola has met every single play style possible in his entire managerial career. Whereas I don't yeah. think Sam Allardyce has any idea. Was 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 there ever a? Oh no, he was at West Brom. So he, I guess he has faced like a like a prime Pep Guardiola team. Yeah, but he's not yeah, yeah. accustomed to it yet. Do you know
0: what I mean? Like. It's interesting. I think a lot of Big Sam's biggest fan back again. Big Sam has actually dug himself in here. No, no, no. He hasn't. he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't. Because Pep kind of agreed with it. Uh, so Pep responded. He was like, I kind of agree. I kind of don't. Well, I don't think Big Sam has more knowledge than, than Pep at all. But I think like in general, he's got to be up there in terms of knowledge. I think there's a distinction to be made in terms of knowledge and application. I don't think he has yeah. the ability to create a football team that performs better than, for example, prime club team. But if I'm thinking... He's got a positional play whiteboard at home. That's <laughs> well, all he's got. Yo, imagine he, he just, imagine he's if he dreaming. just comes back back and he's playing these little like, two, three, five, like fluid Mate, little shapes. Uh, if I see a structure, we're going <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> no, no, generally, I just think like when you've been in the league that long, and I think quotes from like ex-players and things like that, they've all come out and said like, Big Sam always had the ability to kind of like predict what was going to happen in the game, where the game could be won or lost. Yeah. And like Joe in a game, make a tweak and get at certain weaknesses. I think in general, having football knowledge in terms of tactics and things like that, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, understanding
1: and education and experience, like he's experienced a lot. He's been lot. here for a so long, I think, long time. Yeah, yeah. So I think in terms of that in the league, I don't know how many old managers there is I know there's Roy Hodgson but like Moyes, Hodgson um,
0: Allardyce I think they're the they
1: they're the they're the uh, managers who would have experienced the most so therefore you could balance the argument by saying he probably does have enough knowledge on the inside scoop of football yes. in terms of man managing when working with people working with different systems working with different players whatever um he probably does have more knowledge in that department it's really weird because i wish someone actually asked him like yeah. what do you what do you actually That? Like, what do you mean because i think in a way i do i do understand what he's trying to say but yeah i just think he if he said all this stuff and then he comes out of etihad with three
0: points God he's gonna look like a crazy man the Thing is, if he loses though, as well, I think like the attention is it's gonna, yeah, the attention is drawn back on him though, which is a slight positive rather than being drawn towards the players. But I do think I mean, that's like... another
1: thing that he's doing quite well because I think Leeds fans hate the players right now, like especially yeah. after that video in the hotel. Oh, like, yeah, I the did. best I thing was... a manager could do right now is take the pressure off the players because they are getting yeah. pounded.
0: Yeah, and I just look at them four games, they ain't winning a game there. If it wasn't Man City, as the first game I'd have some hope for them um and to be fair like the premier league the script of the premier league you, you can never predict it but I do think the west think, ham like, game is the
1: only game that I'm no I
0: think cause it's the first Tottenham game. and Newcastle have been pushed yeah the is
1: allen road so is the newcastle yeah. game at home as well yeah the, them two games are like it depends how up the Ellen road crowd I, is for it i th- i think yeah cuz the past two games i've watched at, at home for leeds the play style has just sucked any bit of optimism out of the crowd. And then you get past the first mm. 15 minutes and it's settled down, get your foot on the ball and play. And yeah. it's always, it,
0: it was always that. The Liverpool game was exactly like that, actually. I think that's what I no- noticed as well in that, like, under Bielsa and even under Marsh at times, like, the, the crowd's always, like, riled up, energetic. It's like a a really tough yeah. place to go to. And then under uh, under the last manager, like, this mid-block, sort of the slow it does pace. kind it's of suck it in, out that's why yeah, that's why we, we, we spoke
1: about managers fitting clubs leads yeah. are in the same boat as liverpool whereas it, i think you just had to kind of full steam ahead with that pressing high and you yeah. know or exciting at least have, football. Have,
0: have like sort of these aggressive and yeah yeah, yeah um, exactly exactly that which is kind of why i suggested hassanutl at the time rather than uh, Gracia, but like he—he
1: he probably would have kept him up. I think I really do. I, I really—I so well. r- think I've said this—I've said this to you before, but I think I really rate Hassan Hootle, and I think Same, it's easy to see now what he's doing, with, what he did with Southampton, yeah. because well, the
0: rock bottom now. So yeah, um, so shout out Hassan Hootle yeah. as always. Shout out Big Sam. Shout out the OGs of the league. You know, guys who yeah playing in the in the bottom. Shout out Mark of... Hughes
1: at Bradford. They got beat in the 111th minute yesterday. But <laughs> oh, really? Shout out them man. <laughs>
0: He, yeah. when he was at City, I think he like he drew like twelve games in a row or something like that. I just remember he just always used to draw games. Uh, Pragmatism, under, yeah, under Mark Hughes, it was so it's kind of depressing. Um, but shout out Mark Hughes anyway. Um, and yeah, man, let's let's. Um, oh, Arsenal play Newcastle. We'll discuss that after the game. I think that's a, a game that has like a big say in the title race as well. I know a lot of people are basically yeah. calling. I kind of need
1: Arsenal there. to do me a favor,
0: though. I don't, brother. I need. I think if if Newcastle win that game, uh, and we win our next game, I think the league is good. But I'm like, kind of I don't
1: I don't really want to say, it, but like I'm kind of fearful, not fearful for top four. That's the wrong word, but like. But you, you don't think you're out of it yet? I I really don't, and I'm looking at Liverpool momentum wise, and I'm looking at Liverpool's remaining fixtures, and I don't see Liverpool losing a game for the um, rest of the season. So you need to have a.
0: Mm, yeah, so they've got Brentford at
1: home Leicester away Villa at home and Southampton away every single one of them I don't see maybe Villa maybe mm. uh, I, don't, I don't know but, so so, that, but then so that means United. you can't
0: you can't drop points in two games yeah
1: exactly so we've got to win we've got to win three you've games got win- and you've our got last to... games are yeah you've got to win three games. West Ham away Wolves at home Bournemouth away Chelsea at home and Fulham at home I mean, I mean, I think they're they're definitely winnable games.
0: Yeah, Wolves, Bournemouth, Chelsea, Fulham. like If it went against West West Ham Ham away, I'll be, I'll be fine. But
1: he just, I just, this club, man, I hate it. I honestly, I hate it. (laughs) funniest club ever. I was looking at, I was looking at, buddy, third place cemented by May. Get it wrapped up, done. Yeah,
0: you were, you were sort of in with the big boys early, early doors, even sort of like midish season. Um, so it's interesting to see what's happened. We'll we'll come back to Leecher. Come back man. <laughs> to the. Oh yeah, man! Shout out, shout out Martin. As one of the yeah. one of the plays of the season. Hope I hope he's drinking the over somewhere right now. I hope he's having a real good. He's time. probably stressing, brother. He, he plays with his yeah. heart on his sleeve, man. Um. So <laughs> we'll we'll talk about the Arsenal Newcastle game. I mean, we'll talk about whatever uh, sort of appears over the weekend and uh, into early next week. Um hopefully, you've enjoyed this episode of And Again. Um, as always give it a follow a rating subscribe if you're watching this on youtube um, and yeah we'll catch you uh, sort of in the second part of next week peace